It's like from the highest level, the perception of your brand has to bring in the right people. Um, if I was, you know, on really techie, startup-y podcasts all the time, if I, you know, was trying to get on Bloomberg mm. or, you know, doing op-eds in TechCrunch all the time, I would be attracting a very different kind of community than the one that I've attracted. Mm. Um, so the places where your brand is represented and how it's represented are going to be seen by different people, depending right. on what those people like to consume and what they mm. care about. Um, the founder brand matters a lot too when it comes to the community. Right. How your brand is perceived in the market um, will attract or detract people depending on how you show up. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Thanks for tuning into the Undefeated Underdogs podcast. I'm your host, Sharad. Today, I have a very exciting guest. I've been kind of like, you know, virtually met her on the internet. Thanks to Amanda Netridad, who introduced or who brought us together. Shout out to her. Uh, without further ado, Sarah Stockdale, welcome to the show. How are you feeling today? Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing well. I'm I'm pretty stoked. Uh, excited to like dive a lot of uh, topics about around marketing growth with you. And uh, while I was actually kind of researching about you, I found uh, I found out that you previously worked for Tilt. And shout out to James Bishara. He's a good friend of mine. You know, I think we live in a very 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 tiny world, right? Like that's that that those are the dots I kind of like. Uh, hunt for so that it feels like you know we're not strangers we're like you know friends but haven't met uh, type of a situation so uh, welcome to the show i'm excited for folks who don't know about sarah let me give you guys like a brief intro she's done so much so i can probably like give like a 20 minute intro but let let me actually concise it sarah is the founder of grow class an academy where marketers become experts they seek the member mentorship and it's a, it's a membership first community uh, and it's a brilliant network of world-class marketers. So I love your website. You know, it's so, the copywriting is so precise and concise. And she's also a host for the Growth Effect podcast. And like I said, she worked for brands. Oh my God, like she's, she's the director of, she was the director of speakers at TED. She was like head of marketing, if I'm not wrong, at Tilt. She's done so much. So I'll throw the link, uh, the LinkedIn link, and you guys can explore by yourself. But without, first of all, I want to ask this uh, kind of like a basic question. When did you fell in love with marketing? What was the the first love? Is it is it love at first sight? Like, did you did you figure out by yourself who helped you? What is like, you know, go, let's go back to like 10 years, because I think 2013 is when you started off working like seriously uh you know before interning if i'm not wrong but yeah when, when did you go? i it is so i accidentally kind of started in marketing so when i graduated um from my master's i had two job offers one was with a fancy pr firm downtown toronto you know salary not a huge one but a real one benefits all that good stuff and a three month contract at a startup. And this is like before it was cool to work at a startup. Like no one really knew what that meant. An accounting startup of all things. Um, mm. It was a three month contract. It was no money um, to go and work on this team of mostly engineers. 
and mm. obviously I was going to take a PR gig. That right. makes a lot more sense for a recent grad with a bunch of uh, grad school debt. But right. uh, when I when I went in for my final interview with the PR firm, I saw someone um, who had interviewed me cleaning out a closet. And I've cleaned up my fair share of closets. I took out trash. I did all the stuff. But I asked, just like, hey, what other stuff do you do other than this kind of thing? <laughs> I just got here, so this is kind of the, the kind of the jam of the job that I'm doing. And I realized right. if I took a crappy three month contract, I would get to touch a lot of interesting things. They would let me do mm. a lot of things, and they wouldn't pay me very well. There was a lot of risk, but mm. I would get to learn. Um, so I took the the three month contract, and I was at a startup uh, called Wave Accounting at the time. Now Wave uh, that was acquired by H and R Block. So I guess now Wave that is H and R Block. Um, but they raised, I think, 21 million in their Series A, like a couple weeks after I joined, and then I got to stay. You're you're a good luck charm, then. <laughs> I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be. <laughs> uh, so let's let's dive into the present life. Why did you start Grow Class? The the question I want to ask is more more importantly about there are a ton tons of tons of these marketing communities like demand curve is one of the popular ones uh and they're like i, I don't know I, at this point there is i can't keep count of them there are like so many in this wave of uh you know communities that that actually cater marketers why did you think like okay this is like like right time to start grow class and talk to me about the origin story yeah. So Grow Class is three years old. So when I did start it, it was just us and Reforge hanging out. Um, but what I saw was a gap to two main things. One, the vast majority of current marketing education that exists right now is either traditional colleges, mm -hmm. universities, old programs, instructors that have never worked in marketing or haven't in 10 years. So just very very old school mm. or silicon valley broy communities that are mostly men uh and don't necessarily feel like the kind of community that i want to learn in that i would right. feel comfortable being vulnerable in um right. and so grow class is really focused on uh women and underrepresented folks and bringing them into a community mm. where they feel incredibly comfortable to ask any question we don't use any acronyms it's one of the rules mm. in our um in our course and in our community and so uh the goal is really just helping women and underrepresented people get into those six-figure growth marketing careers from mm. intermediate marketing jobs that they could easily be doing those higher paying jobs just with a little bit of help with network and uh and with some specialized education I love that. I love it's it, that's that's the differentiating factor, right? Like uh, underrepresenting, you know, folks. Uh, we need more of such initiatives to be happening in these days at this climate of the hour. Uh, we need more people em people empowering other people. Uh, to be honest, I feel those days are all gone. Where, like you said, like male dominant society, and you know. Whatever it is, right? I don't want to, like, you know, get into the details, but I'm, I'm so glad, like, someone like you took charge with with, with the experience you've built in the past. So, uh, kind of like a follow up question: w What do you think 
is the is the problem that exists in 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 the startup society or in the general like you know corporates businesses that don't give the opportunity for underrepresented you know folks is it is it talent is it like you know how do you how do you think grow class can actually fill that like there is a massive gap you know and so i'll i'll tell about, tell about myself i came from india and as an immigrant in the us it's ridiculously competitive and most of the times i get underestimated like right on my face so mm-hmm. it's sometimes frustrating but what i do is i just flip the switch and you know what let me actually prove them wrong i, I act like you know that's the whole point of this podcast as well is really bring the underdogs like people who change the narrative from being underestimated to proving them wrong and like turn the obstacles into opportunities right so anyway how do you think grow class can actually fill that gap and what are some things that you're doing uh, to address that yeah oh it's such a good question and i i agree with you my favorite thing in the world is being underestimated because like that is like the the itch i always have to scratch if someone right? underestimates me i always have yeah. to prove them wrong super helpful for motivation um <laughs> it's horrible for everything else but super helpful for motivation um grow class specifically there's a couple there's a couple of things the first one um is confidence so a lot of the folks who are coming into grow class don't have traditional tech backgrounds and don't have mm. traditional marketing education mm. um they're great they're incredibly smart they've done a lot of really interesting things they don't know how to articulate that experience and they don't understand how great their experience is so part of what we do with education is we're just giving them more context, more case studies and more examples to justify the fact that they already know this stuff. They already know it, but they do need that additional just a little bit more um when it comes to the education side so that they can feel confident going after the roles that are going to be paying them a little bit more. The second piece is network. So what I found when I was working in startups is founders hire their friends. They hire the people that are around them. They don't have a lot of time. They need people that they trust early. And then you end up with this early team and you're like, "Hey, this is a bunch of white dudes again." Right. You just hire right. all your buddies from college. Um and and a lot of founders are are super aware of that and trying to change it. And so mm-hmm. what we want to do is connect people earlier into those mm-hmm. uh founders and startups and create this place where uh, I, I get DMs every day from founders and from heads of marketing being like, hey, do you know anyone who's great? And we've mm. just opened up a network Beautiful. that is primarily women and underrepresented people that we can direct them and connect them into. Mm. Um, and then we also have a lot of those folks come in as mentors. So they get mm. more one-on-one time with the students and expand their networks past their circle of bros, their initial circle of bros. We're trying to open the circle of bros. Hmm. Um, and then the next piece is really the the community um, and a lot of the time what people are talking about and a lot of courses say like we have a community and like you're dumped into a Facebook group with like 2,000 people and like it's not right. a community really it's a bunch of people which can be helpful um, right. but our goal is really developing real relationships and real friendships from the hmm. folks who join grow class um, for example a uh, Peggy Sue, one of the women who came through Grow Class, flew into Toronto and a bunch of them surprised me for my wow. birthday, San Francisco. So like um, there's one, uh, there's a member of our community who's an author. She's an author of these incredible fantasy novels. And 
she has a dedication in the book to someone else that she met through girl class. So it's just these friendships in this network um, become a support system for folks. Mm. And a lot of the time, if you don't know what you're worth and you don't have anyone to ask that you trust that you can be vulnerable with and say, this is how much I'm making. Mm. I I don't know if that's okay. Um, Now we have this group of people who we've built these relationships with Mm. um, that you can go and say like, I think I should be making more money or I, I, don't think I'm being compensated fairly. Mm. And we also have a huge marketing salaries database where they can actually yep. go and compare themselves. Um, but the the more interesting thing I think is those those friendships in that community and people who will push you and say, like, no, you know, you're worth more than this. Let me introduce you to someone in my network. Let me help you with your LinkedIn profile. Let me help you work on your personal brand. Right. And that enables some of these big salary jumps we've seen people um, be able to get. I have so many follow-up questions. Uh, first of <laughs> all, that's that's like really amazing that uh, the outputs you're producing, right? Like the network you said, and you, you're kind of becoming like, like a temple of underrepresented folks who are wanting to excel in marketing. And founders reaching out to you to find this talent is amazing, right? That's like the greatest signal you can get. Uh, so question, the first question I have for you is like, how do you find these underrepresented folks? Like, is there a, is there a strategy that, you know, because there are like so many people and in my experience, these folks generally are very, I wouldn't say shy, but they're not quite open like others because they're already in the minority. Right. So how do you find these hidden gems, in a you know, in the wealth of like, like 7 billion people? We've been really lucky. Um, so the first two cohorts of Grow Class were very much from my personal network. Mm. Um, I didn't really know it at the time. It was a lot of like friends of friends and people who kind of had connected to me through my work. Um, I I write a really fiery, left-leaning, feministy blog. Mm. <laughs> um, that's a newsletter that goes out every couple of weeks that has absolutely nothing to do with marketing. Very much my own personal project. Um, that I started around the time that Trump got elected. I know, I know. I think and it's called, lot- we need to talk about this, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's that one. Um, so it's, it's. I never thought that it would have anything to do with my professional life. It was like a creative writing outlet, um, but it grew organically. And a lot of folks have found Grow Class through that network, which I wasn't expecting. Um, but there's a lot of like values alignment there. Hmm. Um and then those people have gone on to our referrals, our biggest uh, channel for acquisition sure. for new students. So those we've been really, really lucky mm. um, and we've worked really hard on the experience, but we've been really lucky to find these incredible people to become early alumni of ours who mm. have referred a lot of their friends and colleagues. And then that has kind of developed a chain reaction of what I worked on with James, uh, what I built for Tilt was the ambassador program. Mm. And so we took a lot of what we learned at Tilt and built that into the foundation of Grow Class. So the ambassadorizing our, our former students, they go out and help us find the right kinds of people to be part of the community. It's amazing. I feel all the, all the dots are always connected. You just have to like, you know, kind of look for them, right? Everything we do in the past, somewhere down the line, like, you know, they come back and probably like be helpful. So the other thing I want to, this is something I sometimes struggle as well, is to identify qualities in people 
especially in this case in your case marketing right like mm-hmm. who never did marketing before so how do you have that lens to see through them and say hey you can do this right what are the, what are some of the qualities that you see uh that in those non marketers but you see them as marketers oh like so when i was at tilt one of the when i got the handle when i got the twitter handle for grow class was when i was hiring folks on my team at tilt and i was really struggling with hiring seasoned marketers um a lot of folks come in with like experience that doesn't super perfectly match what you're doing and then a lot of ego and then they want to spend a lot of money and we had no budget mm-hmm. um so i would hire recent graduates and train them um mm. and that's and at the time i got the handle for grow class because i was like oh this is this is hard <laughs> like this is really challenging right um but some of them became some of the best marketers I know. So Emily Lanetto, who's the head of community at Webflow, mm. um, Nick Francis, who helped us build out the ambassador program at Tilt and has founded a financial technology company. Right. Um, they're amazing. And so what we looked for was uh, a couple of things. One, just like aptitude. So folks who were smart, who could learn quickly and didn't have a lot of ego. Right. Um, and then for me, I'm a lot of what I focus on is community growth. Um, so I always want, um, to find people who are incredible hosts. Mm. So if you are the person at a party who will notice someone who's not having a good time or someone who maybe feels uncomfortable or awkward, and you're the first person to go over and include that person and make them feel like they're a part of the community. Mm. Um, those are people that I think will be incredible marketers because they're the ones who are going to notice the gaps in the customer experience, who are Mm. going to listen intently to customer support folks or just listen in on sales calls and pick up on the things that we need to be doing to improve the experience Hmm. so really smart folks um obviously technically savvy uh very little ego but like people people who understand human psychology and any those are i feel like most most of the things you said are very intangible they're like meta qualities uh one of the things I want to also come back is community uh, and yeah. shout out to Emily. I, I, so I host this other podcast called Community Decoded in, at my workplace. Oh, amazing. And I interviewed her. I think that's the third episode for that podcast. And she's phenomenal. I love, I love. Oh, she's yeah, she's really good at bringing people together and she's filled out so many secrets. Shout out to her. Uh, I do have like another thing, which I want to talk about givers, right? Like that's, that's one of the qualities that I hear in this last 18 minutes. You've been talking about people who want to contribute and give, give back, paid forward, mm-hmm. those type of yeah. like, you know, high qualities. Talk to me about the tactical qualities that you look for. The reason I'm asking mm-hmm. is some of the listeners, especially I'm, I'm also asking for myself. I'm not a, I'm not a long form writer. But I hope you say that writing is one of the quality, the tactical quality in a marketer, right? So again, you, what are the qualities that you find tactically that non-marketers can easily become marketers? Yeah, well, you called out the first one, really great writers. Mm. AI is not going to be able to replace folks who can marry conversion copywriting with everything they know to be true about the customer. Mm. Um, 
so we teach that in grow class, but when folks come in with not, and there's no such thing. I don't, I don't think there's any such thing as like someone who's born a writer. Mm. Um, but if you have been honing that skill, if you've been practicing right. um, your writing, if you're great at writing hooks or you're really good at writing an engaging blog post or article, we can easily transform that into making you a really great content writer or making you a really strategic content thinker who can then go and execute. Mm. Um, so I think the the writing piece is one of the most important parts. Um, data analysis and just having a good grasp on how to think about systems and measuring your work. Um, that doesn't mean you have to come in and like understand GA4 or understand, right. you know, <laughs> whatever analytics platform, just someone who is thinking critically mm. about um, how they are going to know whether or not what they're doing is successful. Mm. Um, marketing attribution is getting really hard <laughs> and is, is not going to be super useful for all that much longer but right. that kind of cause and effect thinking that mm -hmm. hypothesis driven thinking and then looking at the data for um for next steps is is helpful um customer support folks i think have really great skills mm -hmm. when it comes to understanding and this is this is one of the really big um opportunities i see is you have these really smart customer support folks who are um, supporting your customers who deeply understand the problems, who can help resolve their objections in a sales conversation, um, and who have built out systems and processes for their own work. And then you you keep them stuck in customer support. That's someone who can easily be trained and can become a really incredible member of the of the marketing team mm. um, if they are someone who's who's willing to do a little bit of that more focus technical work. Um, in Grow Class, we focus on uh, customer psychology, growth funnels and flywheels, uh, SEO, some analytics, paid ads, and then email marketing and conversion copywriting. Mm. No one has to know all of those things. No one should actually have to do all of those things at work. That's right. way too many things for one marketer to have to do. Right. Um, but what we want to do is set folks up with a foundation so that if they if their boss does toss content strategy on their desk, they have a playbook they can go back to. They have a community they can ask questions to. Right. Um, so they don't have to know it all. And they don't have to learn it all either in grow class. They just, we we exist as the their base camp that they can always come back to. That's awesome. And you've, you've talked about conversion copywriting. I want to go back to that a little bit after this question, probably. What do you think, in your, in your opinion, in your experience, what is like the, uh, it's like, the the Thanos gauntlet, right? Like, what is the what is a what is a like the most powerful weapon for any marketer? Is it SEO? Is it copywriting? Is it analytics? In your opinion, what is one tactical skill every marketer should like really nail it down, like master about? Oh, I'm gonna give you a very unsatisfactory answer. That's, <laughs> it depends. It depends entirely on your product, on your customer base, um, on your market. So, for example, SEO is a really great uh, skill for a customer to hone. But if you're building something that doesn't have any search volume, that you are cornering a brand new market, mm. my SEO skills are not helpful for you, at least not now, at least not in the early days of building your company. So I would say 
the best skill set isn't necessarily a channel. Hmm. It's the ability to adapt and learn based on the situation that you've been placed in. So if you're thrown in, like I, when I started consulting after Tilt, I helped e-commerce companies and the, the best thing we could possibly do is build out affiliate strategies for them. I wasn't necessarily a master of affiliate programs, but I had built out ambassador programs and I understood marketing. Right. Um, so I could take those things and learn the new channel as quickly as possible. Mm. So if you're someone who has a foundation, a foundational set of skills, and you are willing to like just take off your ego like a cape anywhere you go and just learn the thing that you have to do mm. for that specific company, then you're going to be great. I know. I kind of had a sense that this this won't be like a straightforward question, but I had to ask anyway. So I, I kind of like you know <laughs> took my shots. Uh, talk to me about the the conversion copywriting. Uh, in your experience, where do founders, so let's talk about like two sets. One is early stage yeah. founders who, who do every, everything by themselves. Like they write the copy, they build, they talk about the product, uh, they do customer service, pretty much everything. And talk to yeah. me about how they can excel. The other set is they have funding or they're bootstrapping to millions and they have a specific like, you know, marketer they hired where where should yeah. they excel so two two sets of yeah. people such good questions uh so for the founder a lot of the time you are so deep in the weeds with your own business and your own product it's all you think about you, you wake up at three in the morning thinking about it you wake up at 8 a.m thinking about it your customers don't wake up they, they don't think about Absolutely. your company as much as you do and so I think a lot of founders, when they're writing copy, they they write it as though there's a foundation of understanding. Mm. So their headline and descriptor copy takes for granted the fact that this customer already knows what's going on. And usually people don't, especially for early stage startups, they have no context. Mm. Um, so you have to kind of take out a lot of the features language and just assume that they're starting from zero and give them the, this is the thing that you are struggling with. Like get into, get very empathetic with your customer. What is the one pain that you're solving mm. and how, what, like, what is the pain that you're solving? What is the thing and how are you solving it? The best headline and descriptor copy is like, this is how you are feeling when you were landing on this page. Mm. Here's how we solve that problem. Mm. Um, and actually explaining the what of the company, which a lot of founders just fail to do mm. um, in the early days. And then you're expecting folks to spend more than 30 seconds on your site. They're spending four seconds. If they don't get the answer to the, what is this thing question, then they're leaving. Right. Um, and that's not helpful. So the, the exercise that I always ask founders to do is uh, second person narration. Mm. So I'm talking directly to you. You're talking to one customer. You don't get to talk to three demographics of customers. You pick one person right. that you've had a conversation with. You figure out what the aha moment is when you're pitching. Because when you're a founder, you're pitching, you're constantly sure. talking about your startup. Yeah. And there's always a moment where people get it, where yeah. they're like, oh, and like their eyes light up. And sometimes it's not the thing you think it's going to. So for, for James at Tilt, he thought the aha moment that people would have is you can collect money and make anything happen. So that was like the tagline for Tilt. That was the founder-led tagline for Tilt for a long time. Mm collect money and make anything happen. Mm. And that was not specific enough. <laughs> mm. No one knew what it meant. It was aspirational. It was what I would call ecstasy copy. <laughs> but 
no one knew what it meant. Um, and the thing that actually worked really well was um, get your shitty roommate to pay you back for toilet paper. Mm. Like the very specific detailed problem mm. um, that we were solving. And a very like one-to-one -one example of what that problem would look like in someone's common life. Mm. Um, so we went from this aspirational ecstasy copy to this very specific painkiller copy. And people would have that like quick, like, oh, I get it. I know what that's for. I can mm. use that. That was a very rambly way to answer that. Oh, I apologize. No, 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 no. I, I love it. I, I just kind of like took that note for myself. It's, I think we live in a world where we want to show off our aspirations and we easily kind of by default want to, uh, it's a way of selling what we are building, right? As founders. And what you said yep. is absolutely true. We don't need to sell it. We just have to talk about it, like really explain in simple words. And I think that is a great takeaway for me. I just literally wrote down because sometimes I tend to, I do, I do build products on the side just for fun. And all the time I want to sell the vision. I want to sell like the bigger picture when, like you said, I'm living in the bigger picture, not the everyday user, right? Like, or every, everybody who's like hopping on the landing page. So that's a great takeaway for listeners for writing, like, or building landing pages or writing, you know, copy for your website. It's not about ex ecstasy copywriting. That's a great word, by the way. It's about like really uh, honing into simplicity, like explaining in layman terms, like specific. Uh, yeah. Do you want to, do you want to cover about the other set which is for folks who got hired like in in these teams where do you where do you where do you think they should think about uh writing especially yeah, conversion think writing if you are so if you are hired so say i'm i'm joining your startup mm -hmm. one of your products that you're building and i've got this like baby founder-led copy mm -hmm. Um, the first thing that I would do if I was tasked with rewriting the homepage is dig into support documentation. So what, um, especially if there's like a chat on the website. Right. So what that support documentation will tell me is what are the questions that are not being answered mm. currently by the homepage. Um, and you kind of want to get like as early as early stage as possible. So customers who have just joined, folks who are just landing on the site and chatting. Um, and then I would probably just show it to a bunch of my friends, be like, what do you think this thing does? Mm. And if they can't answer that question, which happens a lot with SaaS companies, <laughs> then we have to go back to the first principles of explaining what it is and describing the problem that it's solving. Right. And I always like to think of it as like a, you are, um, you're not the main character of your homepage or of your landing page. So a lot of people are like, this is about my product. And I'm going to describe the features of my product. I'm going to tell you why you should use it. And that that's making your product the protagonist of that story. And your customer should be the protagonist of that story. So the story the homepage is telling or the story your landing page is telling is actually about a problem that a person is having mm. and how you're introducing a solution as like Yoda or Galinda the Good Witch. <laughs> and you know your your product your customer is the protagonist and you just get to be this helper that's guiding them mm. 
and trying to get them to a better place. Mm. Um, a really great example of this, and like not at all a super fan of how they've dealt with their team and their politics, but um, uh, oh, and it's the name is slipping, but it's um, like productivity software, like any any of those productivity software mm. companies. Um, but what uh, they did on their homepage was use like before and after copy. So and second person narration. So someone is landing on the page and they're saying, this is how you're feeling. You're feeling scattered. You're feeling anxious. You don't know deadlines. You don't know what's happening. And then they introduce kind of the magic wand moment mm. of like, this is what your life could be like. And they give you those three sentences of what it's actually like for their customers. Um, and that's what we do a lot of the time on the on the grow class website is like a lot of the folks who are coming to grow class are feeling isolated um like their career isn't moving fast enough like we we can kind of get into that mindset and then wave that magic wand and tell a story of someone who has come through the program and come out the other side so if if i'm joining your product i am looking to get as much customer information as possible getting on the phone with people digging through support documentation, um, figuring out what that story is, okay. and then building the copy around that story. I like that a lot because it's coming from them, not from you. And usually yeah. the larger set is them because they're not living in your bubble, yeah. right? Like if, if one can explain what, you, what your product is doing in a much simpler way, because they're not, they, have, they don't have the intention to sell. They just, you just ask a question and this is, they think about, you know, simple layman terms. So that's like, I think, true expression. I like that. And a uh, couple of more highlights I want to like, you know, point out from your answer. Second person narration is amazing. I feel that should, that should itself be a topic where we should talk about like in detail. Uh, it's so good and right for one. The target is always one person, right? Like those are the two really incredible takeaways as well for copywriters uh, or like people who are listening. It seems like you you're suggesting an iterative model where you write something, you you refine it, craft it over time, over time. Uh, one of the things I feel very difficult is where do you stop it? Like where do you put an end saying this should go out? Do you have like a like a method or a? Oh, it should go out the whole time. It should go out the whole time. So the the I think the what the way that I would recommend doing it is. You write, you write a draft, you get some feedback on it, you put it out and you get data on it. Mm. Um, so you're not kind of ever tinkering with copy in a vacuum. That's, that's when, um, that's when you get really bad copy, especially when you get like a lot of folks giving input on the copy. That's when you get really bad copy. Um, what you want to do is get, get it in front of customers as quickly as you can. Right. And for that, I really like having a customer board of directors. So like for Grow Class, we have a Slack with 800 alumni um, and we have a copywriting channel. So I will just put out like, hey, I rewrote the homepage thoughts and like get immediate feedback from folks mm. um, that plus the data of how that copy is doing from a conversion standpoint mm. um, will help me figure out you know, do I leave it up for a couple months? Do I try it for this cohort? Do I iterate on it? Mm. Um, but it it should all you should always the feedback cycle should be kind of constant with customers. I like that. And the longer you tinker away on copy, the worse your copy is probably. Mm. Yeah, that's true. I feel the more you dwell, 
because you you're not getting the feedback right like you're just kind of repeating in your own world again so uh let's switch gears a little bit and talk about community and one of the i think one of the things i want to also explore in how you think about it as a marketer uh i think it feels like a like a similar job community building you know marketing community builders do the same like they write copy they talk to a lot of customers general sense not like specifically seo or you know i'm not talking about analytics and stuff but on a high level mm-hmm. there is no distinguishing like factors right like that play in between these two personas it's all pretty much the same in your opinion do you think the same or do you think there is a difference if yes what would those what would those be i think there i think it depends on how your company is doing community so if we use um just tilt as an example because we had a 6000 person student community mm. um that was a very specific job it was it was a someone that had a growth mindset mm. and had a marketing skill set but who was a people person who was a consummate host who understood how to scale relationships um which is a little bit different than a marketer who's just sitting behind a screen mm. um so for a period of time when we were building out the student ambassador program for tilt um i was in constant communication with college students like i was on whatsapp and and facebook messenger 247365 mm. and that was very much a community thing to have to do it would um, a regular marketer wouldn't expect to be expected or wouldn't think like part of my job is just going to be talking to college students all the time trying right. to understand them and trying to get them to bring their friends into this mm. thing i literally are the, the um international student ambassador program for tilt started with kids i babysat because i reached out to them being wow. like hey i don't know anyone in college anymore i'm too old what's going on <laughs> like, can can you help me uh who's cool at your school help me understand what's going on um so i think that the community folks there's an added layer of um communication skills interpersonal skills and the ability to to scale out relationships mm. um that isn't necessarily needed in a day-to-day marketing manager mm. i love that uh so one of the things you repeatedly again set up in this conversation especially grow class communities that pretty much all everybody's really helpful they want to pay it forward they want to like contribute how do you spot a giver in a community and number one i mean i have like a pre question let me let me you know go back few steps more how do you even think to invite a giver to a community high qual- it's, it's community is always to me is like high quality people right like it's less noise very serious folks like really want to like you know help help each other type of mentality so i always mm-hmm. define and kind of scout for the givers irrespective of where they are meaning their intention is much more important to me than their actual skill because intention can drive qualities like skills like that you don't have and you will eventually like kind of learn about them but again to summarize the question how do you scout a giver before even inviting into a in a community like grow class number 2 mm-hmm. how do you like kind of nurture them eventually yeah 
I think there's there's a couple of things. Like from the highest level, the perception of your brand has to bring in the right people. Um, if I was, you know, on really techie startupy podcasts all the time, if I, you know, was trying to get on Bloomberg mm. or you know doing op-eds in TechCrunch all the time, I would be attracting a very different kind of community than the one that I've attracted. Mm. Um, so the places where your brand is represented and how it's represented are going to be seen by different people, depending right. on what those people like to consume and what they mm. care about. Um, the founder brand matters a lot too when it comes to the community. Right. Um, I have a very, sp- I, I'm a very specific type of person. Right. I have a very left-leaning progressive mm-hmm. Uh, political newsletter. Mm. Um, my public presence is very different than a lot of my contemporaries, and that is going to attract a very different type of person. Mm. Um, so I think the the kind of how your brand is perceived in the market um, will attract or detract people depending on how you show mm. up. And I think we show up as like this is this is a warm, fuzzy place where we focus on belonging, where we care a lot about people, uh, where we don't use acronyms, and we're not really a Patagonia vest crowd. That's just not really who we right. are. Um, and that I think on for folks applying to our community, we just see a lot of these um, community focused empathetic people who feel like this is a breath of fresh air because mm. they're swimming in the waters of of tech and they're like ah oh, this is you know I, I finally found my people mm. um so i think that brand perception is the first piece um the second piece is like who who is who are your ambassadors who are your affiliates who are connecting more people into your community and what is their vibe um we have incredible alumni who are the are the folks telling people about us? I just had someone this morning saying like, "Hibbit told me this would be great," and and I I believed her, and now I'm so excited that I'm here. Wow. And that's like that's how we want to find people is through other really great people. Right. And then once they join the community, I think uh, we have a big emphasis on like the welcome mat. Like when you arrive at a party, mm. you want to feel a big group hug. You want someone to immediately hand you your favorite cocktail. Right. Um, you want to be in- introduced to everyone. You want to understand the inside jokes. Uh, so we think a lot about that experience. How are we bringing you in to a, an existing community? And we do have inside jokes and we have like <laughs> things that are very grow classy. The crab emoji is very important to us. Um, so we want to integrate you into that as quickly as possible. So you never feel like you don't belong. Um, so our uh, Hannah, who is our community she runs community and email and everything mm-hmm. for Grow Class. She's very focused on student experience, especially in the first couple of days of joining the program. I love that. I love the personal touch, right? Like those emojis and inside jokes. They make you kind of, uh, for, for outsiders, they, they make you give that FOMO effect. And it, it, it also sometimes helps, you know, not every time, but sometimes helps. And I love the way you kind of like portrayed the, the answer. Uh, it's always like, I think it's really important to be warm. Uh, that is really important and welcoming, you know. Uh, once you have those basics laid out, I feel, you know. Uh, and on top of it, it's such a joy to bring people together, right? Like it's, it's, oh my gosh, it's, yes. it's, it's for some reason, I, you know, uh, that's, that's one of the things. I am a product guy by nature, but 
I accidentally found community. Like just the way you accidentally you found marketing. I'm like, oh, this is really fun. And the joy of like talking to others, expressing, sharing, solving other people's problem and like being really vulnerable when you are feeling vulnerable is is a is like a safe space. So I love that I'm I'm rooting for you, Sarah. I think I love the way you're building grow class. A uh, couple more questions. So you you one of one of the things you did in the past is working at TED as as director of speakers, and I assume you worked with a lot of you know speakers, and you host a podcast as well, The Growth Effect. This this is more of like a, a straightforward question, but very specific to hosts. How do you, uh, again, a scout guess and how do you actually recruit them? Is there a, is there a framework that you use uh, that you approach, uh, a, a way of writing cold DM or a copywriting for email that you want to share with us? Yeah. So for, for the speaker side, I, it was, it was specific to Toronto. So I was helping um, find speakers for an event in Toronto. Mm. Um, and it was very much about looking for a diverse set of people who had unique ways of showing up on stage and really interesting stories that needed to be mm. heard. Um, so a lot of it was actually, we had a lot of applications that would come in, as you know, yeah, yeah. if you are hosting anything with Ted, a lot of applications sure. will come in hundreds, thousands. Um, but a lot of the people who we ended up bringing onto the stage, we reached out to directly mm. um, and who were surprised to be reached out to. Mm. Um, so, and we hired an incredible MC. Her name's Jam Gamble. She's now like a big speaker, um, a big speaker and influencer. Mm. And she, she teaches speaking. Um, this was her first gig was emceeing uh, our event mm. um, because we headhunted her. Um, and we looked for people who we knew were charismatic in other mediums. She was great on YouTube. Right. Um, and tested them for the stage because we knew they had, you know, really great stories that need to be told. Mm. Um, and we were always looking for the type of people who maybe didn't always get the opportunity um, or wouldn't even think to apply. And that's, uh, we wanted to give those people the stage and, and the mic. Mm. And any any tips about copywriting, especially like in terms of podcasting, uh, how do you approach like yeah. guests for the growth effect or like, you know, what do you suggest for, for hosts to like write a cold DM, for example? Oh, I was really lucky with the growth effect. So I had a producer, Jay Coburn, who um, booked, we, we would work together with the sponsor on the guests and then he would, he would work, work to book them. Um, and he's an incredible, he's an incredible producer. If anyone needs a podcast <laughs> produced, uh, Jay Coburn of vocal fry studios is wonderful. He produced the growth effect. Right. And, um, he taught me a lot about podcasting mm. and the the biggest thing was it's not necessarily the person's CV because mm. a lot of the time people with really fancy CVs um, don't, they show up very press trained and they answer the questions that they've written, you know, pre-written and right. they, they, they're great. They're charismatic, but there's no, uh, you're not going to like pick open anything interesting and, and get a story that no one else has heard out of right. them. Uh, so we would always look for, you know, guests who were up and coming, who had done something really interesting, but maybe who hadn't had a lot of media in the past mm. that we thought we could uncover 
interesting insights coming from a place of vulnerability and storytelling that we wouldn't necessarily get from a more polished CEO. Mm, I love that. Uh, one last question before we wrap up. I ask, I, I'm trying to ask this in every, in every episode. Uh, what is the most ambitious goal that you're chasing? That is such a good question. Um, so I think a lot about human belonging. And I would say the biggest, and I'm, I'm chasing it in one way with grow class and I'll chase it other ways with different, um, different things, but I want, and I don't think it'll be solved with tech. So that's also, it's also a, a piece of this that's challenging, but I, I really want to, even in a very small way, crack, how do we help more people feel like they belong to other people? Yeah. Um, I think we have an epidemic of loneliness. I think tech is exasperating mm. this epidemic of loneliness. And I think the core human need that we all have is to belong to someone or to mm. somewhere. And the more I work in tech, the more I see like a lot of the things that we do are actually antithetical to that goal of belonging. We're, we're building things that are isolating people more and more. So, um, what we work on a lot of the time with grow class is like, I want people to make more money, but I also want them to feel that sense of belonging. Mm. Um, and in my, in the, the mission that I have for my life is figuring out different ways to, to build. Belonging. I love that. I love that so much. This has been probably one of the best conversations I had. It's, you're so authentic. You're so kind of, uh, yeah, very pure. I would say your thoughts are very pure. Your answers are like very, you know, intentional. So, Sarah, this we can go on and on. Uh, I loved talking to you. Appreciate <laughs> you for joining. Any closing thoughts before we, we say bye to the folks listening? No, I think you were one of the most lovely, thoughtful interviewers I'd ha I've had the experience of jamming with, and I really appreciate that. I just oh, thank you, appreciate it. And folks, I try, I try at least, you know, the I, I try to be warm as much as I possible like can. I can. And most importantly, I find like, you know, uh, my guests so uh, grateful because they are the ones who are bringing uh, awesome content, awesome, valuable stuff to you guys. So, and you guys are the reasons why we do this. Uh, I appreciate everyone for joining today and have like tremendous people like Sarah in the, in the pipeline. So stay tuned for more episodes. Thanks again for tuning in. Uh, that's it for today. See you all on Twitter, where are you? <laughs> You meet and greet, uh, but yeah, do definitely uh, huge shout out to Sarah. We'll we'll put all the links and the names mentioned in the podcast in the show notes, and definitely go check out Grow Class. It's amazing. Uh, that's it, folks. See ya. Thank you so much.